0: Amen. Thank you, Dylan and Anel and our team for leading us this morning. And before we dive in, uh, I want to invite you to turn to First Samuel chapter 9. We're going to be there today and kind of hang out in chapters 9 and 10 today. So you'll want to keep your Bibles open uh, once we get there. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, many of you know that uh, our family lived in Florida for six years and uh, in Central Florida and we happen to vacation uh, every summer down in Southwest Florida uh, on a little place called Sanibel Island that's been in the news quite a bit uh, over the last three or four days because that island has been cut off from the rest of the world because the bridge, the causeway has been destroyed by Hurricane Ian. And and so uh, as you also may know if you're a Baptist and you've been a Baptist for a while, uh, even if you're not a Baptist, you probably know that Christian organizations uh, lead the way in disaster relief. Uh, that rarely gets shared on the news, but that's the truth. Uh, Christian organizations lead the way in disaster relief. And uh, we have several Baptist organizations that have already been deployed to Southwest Florida. Uh, one here from Texas, it's, we call it Texans on Mission. Uh, they used to be called Texas Baptist Men, but because half the people who volunteer with them now are women. They've changed the name, uh, rightly so. So Texans on Mission, and then of course the North American Mission Board, uh, which is kind of the North American version of church planting and relief effort, have been deployed down there to do uh, feedings, to help with debris cleanup, all that stuff. And so I say all that to you uh, because this uh, event for them, Hurricane Ian, is a uh, as bad or maybe worse than our own Hurricane Harvey five years ago. And because every time uh, we've had an experience, uh, you and others have risen to the occasion and helped Uh, And so I'm asking you to do that today as well. So if you would like to uh, help donate some funds uh, so that we can send uh, dollars to those relief agencies, uh, you can do so with a little uh, envelope uh, around your chair somewhere. It's the white envelope. You can just write disaster relief on it and uh, put your offering in there. Uh, Or if you go online uh, to our website, uh, to our giving page, there's a drop-down tab that says disaster relief and you can give in that way and we will funnel those uh, funds to help uh, those that are on the ground uh, serving uh, with meals with uh, recovery with debris cleanup uh, all that because uh, like Hurricane Harvey it will be uh, not just weeks and months but years uh, before our friends in Florida uh, recover. I have a good friend who's a pastor of a church in Fort Myers, and I know um, it's a disaster zone there. Um, and so we need to be praying uh, for uh, all those folks in Florida and the Carolinas as well as it made landfall again there. And, and so a- as you think about that, uh, thank you always for your faithfulness and in, in giving and your generosity when it comes to things like this. Uh, today we're going to look at at a very strange uh, event. a a, a series of events uh, that leads to Saul becoming the first king of Israel. Now, if you get our e-newsletter on Friday around noon is when it goes out, the subject line was, have you ever lost your donkey? Well, I'm not sure uh, if any of you have a donkey or you've ever owned a donkey. Uh, Don't hit your spouse at this moment or your siblings. Uh, But... uh, The the backdrop of our story today is that Saul, the future king of Israel, uh, lost a bunch of donkeys, and and he's going in search of them. And though you may not have a donkey, uh, you might have a dog or a cat or a pet, and if that dog or cat were to get loose, my question for you, don't answer it, just think about it, is how long would you search for your dog, dog or cat before you just said, well, Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, I can tell you the answer, at least for me and probably for Brandy, is not very long. Uh, (laughs) We we like our dog Bentley. Our boys love our dog. At least they say they do. Uh, But I don't know that I would search for Bentley very long. He has a chip, you know, the microchip. So one of you would find him and get him back to us, which would be great. But... But I don't know that I would go on a journey like across five cities, which is what Saul does to try to find his donkeys. I'm not sure I would do that uh, to find Bentley. But there's a family in California that just recently, just this last like this year, their dog had been missing for 12 years, 12 years their dog was missing, and someone found it 60 miles away. A church member after the first service told me that she lost her dog. She lives in Pearland and they found the dog in League City. That's a pretty good distance as well. Uh, but, but 12 years and 60 miles, they found little Abby. Oh, how sweet. I, I'm not sure how long I would look for Bentley, but I do take care of him some. You guys are going to kill me later, I guess. But Saul goes and looks for his donkeys. So let's find what happens to Saul. Because after Saul goes looking for his donkeys, history is changed. History is changed by a guy looking for lost donkeys. Let's look in verse 1 of chapter 9. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. That's Saul's dad, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, son of Becheroth son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. So I'm going to pause right there. This is, most of us just blow past these names, but Saul's great, great, great grandfather is listed here. Most of us barely know the names of our great-grandparents, if we know them at all. The Israelites were unreal. These ancient cultures were amazing in their study of their family dynamic. And so it might be worthy of us to study who we are and where we came from. But Saul's family had, had money. In verse 2, And he, Kish, had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any one of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise and go look for the donkeys. And he passed through all the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalashah. And he did not find them. And he passed through the land of Sha'alim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. We're going to stop right there. So here we have this man looking for lost donkeys. This wealthy family who's lost the donkeys, and the dad sends his son and a servant to go look. And they can't find the donkeys. The, the rest of chapter 9 is them looking for the donkeys, and they can't find them. Now, we know, because we're on the other side of the story, we know that Saul eventually becomes king of Israel. And that's going to happen in this story today. Saul becomes the king of Israel. But Saul's family is a shepherd family. They, they shepherd animals. And in the ancient world, uh, being a good shepherd often meant you were a good king. So perhaps even in this moment, there's a little foreshadowing here that Saul is not a very good shepherd. And maybe he's not going to make for a very good king. His two greatest qualities, the only qualities we see that are listed for Saul are that he's taller than everybody, and he's a good-looking guy. Great for modeling, maybe not so great for kingship. But he's the guy. And so as they go and look, they come across the town <clears throat> where Samuel the prophet is. And so the, the, the servant says, Saul, maybe we should go ask the prophet Maybe he can help us find our donkeys. If you lose your dog or your cat, please don't come to me. I cannot help you, as mentioned earlier in the sermon. I probably can't help you. I'll put a poster up for you. But, but it, maybe we can get Samuel to help us find the donkey. But we don't have anything. They've been searching and searching and searching. They're out of bread. They have only a quarter shekel of silver They've got a small amount of money, no food. What are we going to bring to this great prophet of God? Well, they show up. They meet Samuel. Samuel happens to be in the middle of sort of participating in worship uh, for the nation. And God speaks to him. God speaks to Samuel, the prophet, the same time Saul and his servant are coming into town. And God tells Samuel, this man, Saul, He is my chosen anointed one for king. He's the guy. He's the man. He will be the king of Israel. He is my choice. And so Samuel and Saul meet. And in that meeting, Samuel quickly assures Saul that the donkeys are found. Don't worry, they're okay. But the bigger news, Saul, is that you're God's anointed king to be. Now Let's think about that conversation for a moment. Saul couldn't believe it, number one, because he's a Benjamite, the smallest tribe of Israel. And he's from the smallest clan in the smallest tribe. He's kind of like a nobody in his mind. But you're the king. It, it would be as if those of you that are around my age or older, on a Saturday morning, there's a knock at your door. You're not quite dressed fully, kind of hairs not quite right, and you open the door, and there's Ed McMahon with your publisher's clearinghouse lifetime supply of twenty five grand a week, and, and you've you've just you've just won the greatest. Lottery in the world of no doing of your own, like it just happened. Or maybe this little random TikTok video you made went viral, and now you're famous. Or your fantasy football team, predicted to be last place, wins. Like it's that kind of moment, and even greater. And Saul doesn't know what to do. I like think probably you wouldn't know what to do either. If the Secret Service showed up at your house and said, hey, um, we're changing the Constitution, you're now president. <laughs> that, that's what it would be. That, that's kind of where we are here. But but in the moment, for us, it's kind of unimaginable that someone would come to our door and give us this amazing, unbelievable kind of honor it would be hard for us to imagine. But, but here, this is a wonderful kind of God moment for Samuel and Saul. Because let's think back to, to the early pages of 1 Samuel. Eli was the prophet, this great man of God. But he had two terrible sons. They were the worst And there's this young woman who doesn't have a child, and she prays that God would give her a child, and if he does, that she would devote him to the Lord, and that happens. That's Samuel. And so Samuel becomes the adopted son of Eli, who would be raised in the temple, who who would do the things of the Lord, become a, a prophet of God. And now we fast forward decades and decades and decades. Samuel's an old man. We talked about that last week. He's an old man, and here he is now. He has two sons, and they're also worthless. And he has this now king-to-be, Saul, in his presence. That perhaps this is the opportunity for Saul to be the adopted son of Samuel, to be not just the king, but the prophet king, who would judge Israel in the right way. Who would return Israel to the things of God? And so here we are in this moment. And and, and before you think that old oh, Saul is kind of like Samuel decades earlier, you know, like a little kid or a, a child, no, Saul is a grown man, probably in his forties, because we know a couple of chapters later that his son Jonathan, who happens to be David, King David's best friend, is already in military service. So Saul had to be somewhere between 40 and 50 years old, more than likely. And so this adult man now gets thrust into the spotlight. You're going to be king, not yet, but you will be. And Saul's only qualification, only qualifications are that he's tall and handsome. That's it. So it's a great reminder to us that God uses the likely and the least likely for his purpose. Outwardly, Saul might have been the right choice because the tall, good-looking people seem to have it a little easier sometimes. But he had no other credentials to lead people at all, and we're going to see that even more in a moment. But whether you think that you should be the chosen one or not, God can use you no matter where you are for his purposes. No matter how important or not you believe you are, God wants to use you for great and mighty things. And so let's see what happens to Saul. Turn the page probably to the end of chapter 9 and look at verse 27 as we See the the moment when God anoints Saul. Verse 27, it was time for, for Saul and his servant to leave. The donkeys are found. All the information has been given. Now it's time for Saul to go home. And as they were going down, verse 27 says, to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while. That I may make known to you the word of God. It's always good to pause and listen for God to speak to you. And then Samuel uh, took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, "'Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies.'" And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son?" They're walking out of town. The donkeys are safe. Saul's been given this crazy news about, hey, you're going to be God's anointed king. And they get to the edge of town. Servant goes on. Saul and Samuel stop. And then all of a sudden, they're going to have a church service right here. This is like a holy moment right on the edge of town. Can you imagine driving out towards Alvin and just stopping at the softball fields? And having a worship service right there? That, that's this moment. And, and, and Samuel stops Saul. He probably has him kneel and he takes that small flask of oil and anoints his head, a symbol of God's presence and power in Saul's life. Set apart for duty and service to the king, not the earthly king, the heavenly king. This is a giant moment. It's a giant moment, a big moment. As you and I walk through life, I I I wanna encourage you to to pay attention to moments where God says, stop, wait, listen. Because those could be big moments. Big moments for you, big moments for your future. And this is, a, this is the moment where God approves of Saul's leadership. And throughout chapter 10, there's three sort of God-ordained moments where Saul knows, hey, okay, Samuel tells him, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. The first one is you're going to meet these guys by Rachel's tomb, and they're going to tell you your dad's not worried about the donkeys, he's worried about you. That's the first of three Like, this is happening. And after that moment, when Saul gets up and moves on, God's presence falls upon him. And as he walks into each of these moments, he speaks with truth like a prophet. God has changed his heart, the scripture says. His heart was changed so that he could speak like a prophet so that he would be able to explain the truth so that he would know exactly what to say and how to say it in the moment. So much so that the people were astonished. They couldn't believe, is this Saul? Is he now one of the prophets? They thought maybe he had been set aside as a prophet of God because God had spoken to him so clearly and his, that anointing had come on his life. He had risen to the occasion God gives all of us those moments where we can rise to the occasion, not by our strength, not by our eloquence, but by the power of God. So, when you and I have surrendered ourselves to the presence of God, when, when we trust in His presence and he, he is active in our life, people pay attention to us, they listen. When when God is present in your life and is active in in what you're doing and what you're saying, people will pay attention to you. They will listen. The the entire community was astonished that Saul had this newfound power and truth. It's because God had anointed him, set him apart. So don't ever forget that God always wants to work through you. And so how are others seeing God work through you? How others seeing God work in your life? If they're not seeing it, then it's not their issue, it's our issue. That I need to recommit my life. I need to surrender again to the power of God in my life. And so Saul, now anointed sort of privately as king, and he experiences these unique encounters where the power of God is on him, now it's time for him to publicly be declared king. Like, I know all of you just love being in the spotlight and, and you you would love to just stand up here and speak as well. Like, you love public speaking. That's everyone's dream, I know, is to speak publicly and to be recognized and to, to all that. Like, I know everyone loves that. And, and that's about what Saul is going to experience. And so let's see how Saul responds to his public moment, to the moment where, he is going to be announced as the king of Israel. Look at verse twenty, uh, excuse me, verse seventeen of chapter ten. Now, Samuel, this is again the prophet. He calls the people together to Mizpah, and he said to the people, "Thus says the Lord God of Israel: I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you." But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. I want to stop just right there for a second. Samuel gathers everybody up, the whole nation, everybody. And in two sentences, Two sentences, he gives the history of Israel. God has delivered you time and time and time and time and time again. And time and time and time and time time again, you've rejected him. That's the history of Israel. And might I add, that's the history of your life and my life when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. That he's rescued us, he's saved us from our sin. He saved us from an eternity separated from him and over and over again, we say, God, I got this. I don't need you. That's what Samuel tells the people of Israel. But no, we, we want a king. We want it our way. We want to be like everyone else. And so here it is. Samuel gives them the truth. They don't want the truth. Let me encourage you, be open to the truth. All the time. Even when it's not what you want to hear. Be open to the truth. And so he tells them that that brief history of Israel. And then he comes back. And he gets everybody together, but he's focused on one tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. And he brings all the tribes of Israel together, verse twenty. The bride, tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by his clans, and the clans of the uh, Matrites was taken by Lot. That's where Saul is from. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. Here's the fun part. But when they sought him, when they were going after Saul, they couldn't find him. So they inquired again of the Lord. So they're praying to God, Where is Saul? Is there a man still to come? And the Lord answered them, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people. He hadn't shrunk, which is good. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all people. And all the people shouted, Long Live the king. Skip down to verse 27. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. So this is a crazy scene. Can you imagine thousands and thousands, maybe even a million people gathered together and it's time to anoint their king, to, to raise him up, to publicly introduce him, and no one can find him. It, it's like Miss America trying to crown Miss America and they can't find her. Like the previous winner's holding the crown and they're playing the song and they got the bouquet of flowers and no, no nothing. Nothing. So much so that they pray. Can, have you ever been in a situation where you're praying for something that seems so kind of weird? Like, why am I praying for this? That's what they're, they're praying. God, where is the king that you anointed? And God answers their prayer, which is even more crazy to me that God would speak to the nation of Israel. Hey, check the luggage. That's what it is. Check the luggage. I had the great privilege of working at the airport uh, when I was young and got to be there when what is now called Terminal D uh, was opened. Like the first day it was, in, it was open, I got to be there and, and walk down and be in the customs area and all that stuff, which no way today. Uh, this was pre 9 11. But it's a miracle that we, can, we get our luggage after we fly, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. I, I imagine this scene here like the luggage is just piled up in a corner and Saul is on the back, or maybe he tried to dig himself in and like maybe they won't find me here. He's a giant of a man, like he's tall. You just don't hide easily as a tall person. Where is he? There's some great truth for all of us in this little scene. This is very weird. Maybe Saul didn't want to be king. He, he, he didn't want the pressure. He didn't want the publicity. He, he didn't want to take the leadership. He, he was afraid. Maybe he was a humble guy and just wanted to live the life of a shepherd. Maybe he knew he didn't have the qualities that he needed. Maybe he felt he was unworthy of being king. Maybe he just wanted to do something else with his life. Each of us have those moments where we get thrust into a situation and, and we don't want it. We don't want it because we don't like it. We don't want it because we don't think we're capable of carrying it out. We don't want it because We know we're not good enough or we couldn't do it on our own or we don't like the people involved. We all get thrust into these moments like Saul was thrust into. Maybe ultimately he knew he wasn't supposed to be king. Because God's very clear in his word that the true king doesn't come from the tribe of Benjamin comes from the tribe of Judah, the Messiah, King Jesus. He is the true king. But the people still celebrated him, most of them at least. Long live the king. And so here Saul is, maybe with feelings of of unworthiness, inadequacy, maybe frustration, Maybe just a lack of desire. But here he is. And most everyone is for him, but there's a few worthless people who are against him, which is funny that they use that word worthless. It's great comfort for you and me. It's a great comfort for you and me. There will always be people who are against you. There are always going to be naysayers. But perhaps Saul's first great act was that he kept the peace. He kept the peace in that moment. But I want to close our time today thinking about Saul hiding in the luggage and and what that might mean for you and me And, and what lessons we might learn from being in situations that we don't want to be in for whatever reason. The first thing is, it, is that it's okay to be afraid of responsibility. It's okay. It, it was okay that Saul was afraid of the responsibility he was being thrust into. Sometimes we, we're just nervous and scared. I, I know that at least one person in this room, that if I asked him to come on this stage and speak to all of you, he would probably die. It's okay. It's okay to be afraid. But it's good. It's good to face your fears and to push through them. It's good to do that. Particularly when you know that God is with you God God was with Saul. God God had been the one to anoint Saul. He is the one who would set him apart. And and if you and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the true king, the one, the Messiah, the one who forgives our sin and who calls calls us, you and me, a royal priesthood, then it's good to push through your fears because we have the king of kings with us. And it's good to push through our fears. And to see what God can do. It's okay to be afraid. It's good to push through your fears. But it's best to have a heart for God. And we learn that ultimately that's Saul's downfall. Not not today, not in this moment, but later in his life. It's why we sang the songs we sang today about making room, about surrendering to, to the will of God, about saying, God, God, I want to surrender myself to you. I, I, I want to make room in my life for whatever you want to do, even if I'm afraid of that, even if I'm worried about that, even if I'm scared of that, even if I don't think that I'm ready for it. Even if what's on the other side may not be good, I'm going to be open to it because I trust you. And I know that you're with me. But God, you have to change my heart. And the first step of that heart's change is to trust in Jesus Christ, to make him, to ask him to be your Savior. The one who forgives you of sin. The, the one who rescues you from, as the scripture hears, the all calamity. Not just today. And that doesn't mean bad stuff that's happening to you. That all of a sudden life is peaches and cream. No. Rescues, are from, rescues me from the sin that I commit. The destruction that I've created for my life that's going to lead to death and separation from him forever. That's the first step is to open my heart to receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And then to have a heart of faith surrendered to him each and every day. Even though we don't understand it, even though Saul didn't understand what all this meant, him being king. But to surrender ourselves to that, to ask God to change our hearts daily moment by moment so that we could see through any of those situations, any of those things that we don't want to face or we're having trouble facing because of our own fear, because of the circumstance, because of whatever. If my heart is tuned to God, I can trust that He'll see me through. That's my prayer for us, we have a heart surrendered to God. Will you pray with me?